Amen. I've enjoyed the worship and appreciate the special music this morning. She uh, sang of the Via Della Rosa, and when you go to Israel, there's a pathway that they call the Via Della Rosa, and it's the path of suffering. It is the way in which Jesus went when he bore his cross up to Calvary, and uh, we're so thankful for what Jesus has done for us, and we're here because of that today. Let me invite you to take your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5, Ephesians chapter 5. We're uh, picking back up in our exposition. We've been on a little break through this past month with some special Sundays and guest speakers and things that we had going on, and so we're now getting uh, back into our exposition, and and, uh, we're going to be looking at verse 22 through verse number 24 uh, for our text today, Ephesians chapter 5, and the title of the message is The Spirit-Filled Wife, The Spirit-Filled Wife. I bet you can't guess who this sermon's about. It's the wives, right? So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll glean what the Scripture says for us as we're coming through this book about this wonderful, wonderful role that the wife has within the marriage and in the home. And this certainly is not going to be exhaustive of all the Scripture teaches, but we're looking at what Paul communicates in this particular text, and I pray that it will be a blessing to us and uh, encourage us in our, our marriages uh, specifically. Uh, But verse 22, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I think that it cannot be understated how important the family unit in the Scriptures is and how important it is to our world. The family unit is a very sacred institution that is ordained by God Himself. Uh, We looked a little bit about that yesterday at the conference at uh, Vesta Baptist. I was given that subject, the sufficiency of Scripture for the family, and so... Uh, some of you that were there, I told you, you're going to get a little, lot, a little bit of that yesterday, but a lot of it today too, and so you'll get a little bit of a recap on, on some of the things that were mentioned. But I think it's important to know just by way of introduction that the Lord God has united uh, man and woman in this uh, covenant relationship that we call marriage. Now, there is a lot of confusion about marriage today, isn't there? Not so much confusion, but actually willful rebellion against what marriage is. The foundation of confusion is of foundation of confusion. The foundation of marriage is under great attack. People are confused about it, or rather rebellious against it. You have the issues of gender identity and the question of what is a woman. I believe a lot of this stems really to the judgment of God and men being given over to their own lust, as you read in Romans chapter 1. But what we view is that there is an attack on the fundamental institution of marriage and the family unit as a whole, and there's a reason for that. Because the family is foundational to the whole structure of society. It is foundational to the church, it is foundational to our community, And it is foundational to our nation at large. Churches are made up of families. Communities are made up of families. The nation is made up of families. And I want you to understand that this uh, confusion and rebellion, understand that uh, against marriage, it is a satanic effort. 
It is not innocent. This is not just a culture war that we're engaged in. It is a spiritual war. Both Scripture and nature teach us the plain design of marriage. But in case we need to know very clearly today, and for those that might listen online, I think this is a good definition by John Stott on marriage. Marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceded by the leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent mutually supportive partnership, and normally crowned with the gift of children. I believe that's a good definition. Now, in our text, Paul dives into this subject of marriage. While continuing his line of thought from what he just said in the previous passage about being spirit-filled and what that looks like. You see, the call to every Christian is to be filled with the Spirit. That is uh, not just a suggestion, that is a command in verse 18. He tells the church, be not drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, just to recap for a moment, what is it to be filled with the Spirit? It is to be under the Spirit's influence and control. It is to be governed by Him in your life. Now, how can we most practically be Spirit-filled people? Very simple. It is through knowing and applying the Scriptures to your life. The Scriptures are authored by who? The Holy Spirit of God. So if you want to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit, read the Bible and live it. That is what it is, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so if we want to be a Spirit-filled spouse, as such as a husband or wife, then we must know what the Scripture teaches about those two roles and what our responsibility is. And so this is why Paul gives this wonderful text and instruction. He's taking the Ephesians into the realm of the home into the realm of marriage and family life. Now, Paul doesn't give us an exhaustive theology here of marriage in the home, but he does give us some very vital and key points to the relationship of the husband and the wife, and on later in chapter 6, the children and the parents. And we can even see application in the workforce. Now, I believe that for all of us here today, especially if you're married, The desire of all of us should be to fulfill what this passage teaches in our relationship with our spouse. If you're not yet married, take heed to what God says about the marriage union and know what you're signing up for. This is what it is about. This is what the Bible teaches about spouses and their conduct in relationship to each other. So I want us to look for our opening today, uh, look at the wife in the marriage. Now, I say this often, that I have often bitten off more than I could chew. I've, I've endeavored to take the whole passage on and include the husbands as point number two, but we're not going to get to that today. So we're just going to take turns and let the wives go first. After all, it's appropriate to let women go first, right? And so that's what we're going to do. Number one, or the first heading and the only heading, the role of the wife in the home. I want the role of the wife in the home. I want you to see these, these three points here that apply here to this, this particular heading. I want you to see very plainly that she is commanded to be submissive to her husband. She is commanded, not suggested to, but commanded to be submissive to her husband. 
Now, he gives this instruction directly to the wives in verse 22. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, it's unmistakable that Paul is addressing a specific audience with this passage. Now, for clarity, especially in today's world, the word wives means a married woman. That's so deep, isn't it? Wives means a married woman. Our world is struggling with definitions, seeking to change them to fit their depraved appetites. But Scripture is unchangeable. Truth is unchangeable. It doesn't change with uh, whatever the, the whim of the culture is. Truth always stays the same. It is absolute. So Paul is addressing the wives, married women. Now, this doesn't include everyone or even every woman. Only married women are in view here. To the married women, he calls upon them, commands them to submit to your own husbands. Now understand that submission, the idea of submission is not just a wife-to-husband principle, it's a Christian principle in general. The Christian life is a life of submission. Every single one of us here today are called to submit to who? Christ the Lord. Because He's Lord, right? All of us as Christians are also called to uh, submit to each other in a general submission to each other. In fact, this is what uh, Paul builds this case upon in verse 21. Notice at the end of this paragraph where he's talking to them about being spirit-filled, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's talking about each other within the church to have a submissive attitude and behavior about them in the local church. You see, we submit to each other in the Christian family as we serve others and we prefer others above ourselves. That's what we're called to do. Philippians 2.3 kind of fleshes that out a little bit. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, understand that Paul builds this case for the marriage. He's, he's, he's continuing upon what he just said in this previous passage. He builds upon the thought in giving this command to the wife to submit to her husband. But understand this, that submission of the wife to her husband is not the same as the general submission between all believers in which we're preferring each other. Say, so why is that? Because there is a special and sacred union between the husband and wife that not all believers are part of. You all aren't involved in my home, and I'm not involved in your home. One man and one woman are married together. It is their marriage. It is their marriage. So what does this mean? It means that, that the wife, she's not to submit to all men, but to who? Her own husband. Her own husband. Now, there, as we come through this, you understand that there is a lot of distortion of this, uh, this, this, this command of submission in which men use it to abuse women, to abuse and demand certain things that they should not demand. But I do want you to see that this, this text right here, it makes this command exclusive to the marriage union. Now, this command, submit to her husband, it goes against the current godless culture around us. The current of our culture is flowing one way, that the Bible is going the opposite way. 
We, we, we look like we're paddling upstream when it comes to truth and how we live and, and what our convictions are. It puts shock into people when they hear this. It's not politically correct to say the wife should submit to her husband. But it is biblically correct. And may I say that what is biblically correct is the only form of what is correct. The Bible is truth, not the culture. Many tend to think, though, and I think they, they, just, they, they bucket this because they have the wrong ideas about it. Many tend to think that when the wife is called to submit to her husband, it means that she is somehow a slave to her husband with no voice or liberty of conscience. That is the furthest thing from the truth. This submission is in deference to the ultimate leadership of the husband for the health and harmonious working of the marriage relationship. And so this is the main point through all of this. The word submit, understand, in this particular text of Ephesians, you read it in your English and it says submit, but there's actually no Greek word there at all that says submit in the original text. But it is implied building on verse 21 where Paul is commanding the believers to be submitting to one another. It has a basic definition of of to cause to be in a submissive relationship. It can also be translated as be subject. But what we do see is that the same word for submitting, it is used, it is in the text, in the parallel passage in Colossians chapter number 3 and verse 18. Colossians and Ephesians, they are parallel letters. They carry some of the same content. And there, Paul says in that text, Wives, submit to yourselves as is fitting to the Lord. So in the context of the home here, in the context of the marriage, this word speaks of submission involving recognition of an ordered structure. In other words, the wife recognizes that God has ordained the husband to be the head of the home, not her. We see this a little bit later in summary, verse 33, where he tells the wife to see that she respects her husband. So the wife who is submissive, she is inwardly and outwardly has a respect for and a yielding to the headship of her husband. You see, this submission, it's an act of humility. It is an act of emptying of pride for the sake of another. And ultimately, that's what it boils down to in any time someone submits. There is a forsaking of pride. It is an act of humility, a laying down of your own will and humility before another for a purpose. Now, this is how the believer is to behave towards God and also towards other Christians and and, in various avenues. But in the context of marriage, a wife submits to her husband by honoring him and yielding to him as the head of the home and in response to God's command and God's ordained order in the marriage union. Now, I will say this, that when wives do not follow this order, it brings disorder to the home. Disorder to the home. If a wife does not honor and reverence her husband, She's always constantly bucking against him and fighting against him and does not let him lead. That disrupts the home, and it often makes the husband miserable in his own role if he's trying to fulfill it. You know, Proverbs teaches that it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a woman, a brawling woman in a wide house. I don't say that condescendingly. That's just what Scripture teaches. 
when a woman steps out of her role and starts trying to be the man's role, you disrupt the whole form of what God's ordained in the house. So understand what these roles are meant to be and what they are meant to do. This is where we need to see the particular context of this also, the reason for this submission by the wife. When considering this command, we must view it in light of the whole passage. If you pluck this verse, only verse 22, away from its context, it it enables you to make it say whatever you want it to say. And that's just the principle of biblical hermeneutics and interpretation. You can't pluck verses out and make them say what you want to say. Popcorn theology don't work. Exegesis, exposition, understanding every verse in its context is vital to actually getting what God has said. So when you look at this verse in light of the whole passage, understand that it does not mean that the wife is commanded to obey her husband in the same way that children obey their parents. The wife is not the child of the husband. The word submit is not the same word for obey for children later in this passage. The wife is not the husband's slave. She is not, understand this, her submission in this role does not mean that she is inferior to him. Not at all. Does not mean that she's inferior to him or that he's superior to her. She is not to be lorded over by him. The husband is not to be domineering over her or acting like a dictator towards her. You understand, not understanding either one of these roles will lead to chaos and trouble in the home. If the husband, does, if the husband takes this and says, okay, wives submit, you do what I say. He's going to make that wife miserable because he's stepping outside of what his role actually is. A husband is not to treat his wife as a servant or a child, but as an equal for whom God has given him care and responsibility for provision and protection to be exercised in love. Understand that in this relationship between husband and wife, submission and headship, there is a mutual connection in the fulfillment of these roles. The wife's submission and the husband's love work hand-to-hand together. Now, this may be a dumb illustration. I don't like it because I hate dancing. But I keep seeing all these prom photos, and it made me think of how miserable I was at prom. Anybody else feel like that? If you had fun, I'm glad. But, man, I just wish I didn't go. It's the only time I really have ever slow danced. But when you slow dance, it's a mutual act that involves both people. The man takes a gentle step. The woman takes a step after him hand in hand, enjoying the dance together. If the husband takes a step, but the woman doesn't take a step with him, the dance really doesn't work, does it? The husband, gently, lovingly, although I wasn't in love at prom, but (laughs) you just do what you do, (laughs) gently takes one step at a time, and the woman follows. You can't separate these two. The love of the husband and the submission of the woman, they both work hand in hand. And so the bigger picture of this submission ties into the headship of the man and the love that he has for his wife. This submission to the husband, understand, is founded upon this ordained authority that God has set within the marriage union. 
That brings us to verse 23, and notice what he says. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. This shows us the reason for the wife's submission. It's because God has ordained and set the husband as the head of the family. He did not set the woman as the head of the family. He set the man as the head of the family. And so he uses this metaphor that's used with the church in Christ, that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. This metaphor gives us a picture. What does the head do in the body? The head governs. The head leads. What we do in the body flows from the head, right? That's where we see the connection with Christ and the church. The head emphasizes authority and leadership just as Christ is the head of the church. Ian Hamilton writes comments here, and I think he sums it up well. When a wife submits to her husband, she is recognizing and embracing the fact that he is the God-appointed head and leader of their relationship and home. And that is vital to understanding the marriage union and it working as it ought to work. Now, the wife-husband principle, understand, it's not some new thing that just came about. We Christians didn't just invent it. This was established back in the created order in the very beginning. Who was created first? It was Adam. Then came Eve. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So then he created Eve. Eve was created for Adam, and Adam needed Eve. They needed each other. And they were made into one flesh with their own unique role in that marriage union. The first marriage was without blemish for some time. They were in a state of innocence in which this marriage union was exactly what it was supposed to be. I love this quote by Matthew Henry that kind of balances what we're saying here. I often use this when I do a wedding. The woman was made from a rib out of the side of Adam, not out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I think that's a beautiful description of that. But what happened to the marriage union? What happened to it? Well, we know what happened. Sin came in, didn't it? Sin has distorted everything in this world, right? What happened with their fall into sin? Let's look at it for a moment. Think about it. Who took the fruit first? was Eve. But that didn't mean Adam's innocent. I believe Adam was standing right beside her, and he did not do what he was supposed to do, protect her from the serpent who infiltrated God's garden. But instead, he listened to the voice of his wife, took of the forbidden fruit, and thereby himself disobeyed God's voice and command. And so the curse of sin, you understand, it has affected all things, including the relationship between man and woman in marriage. And we often read about the curse on Adam. He's going to have to work and, 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 and labor for his food in the sweat of his face and the curse on the serpent and how that applied. But we also remember that God spoke to Eve. Genesis 3.16, the woman, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to who? Your husband. But he shall rule over you. 
You know, the curse shows that the woman's desire to overrule the man's headship and that that would be resisted by the husband. The man would rule over the woman, be over the woman. And with the fall into sin came a great distortion of the woman's proper submissiveness and the man's proper authority. And ever since that day, what's been going on? There's been a struggle, as we see, in male chauvinism and excessive feminism in our world and culture. Women want to rule over men, and men want to take advantage of women. John MacArthur rightly said, women have a sinful inclination to usurp man's authority, and men have a sinful inclination to put women under their feet. All of that stems from one thing, sin. Sin is what distorts relationship and what God's design is. But here's the glory of this, is that in Christ, the marriage union in the roles of the wife and the husband, they are set in place to where they need to be and where they should be. Now, that does not mean that the Christian spouse is perfect in fulfilling these roles. It just means that we have a divine order and now have the ability to fulfill that divine order Why? Why is it that you and I have the ability to fulfill this divine order? Because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Spirit-filled Christians, Spirit-filled husbands, Spirit-filled wives, this is your call. It is to live this out. He doesn't call you to do something you're incapable of doing. He has called you to do what He has enabled you to do by His Word and by His Spirit. And you'll notice that the wife who is spirit-filled recognizes God's order for the marriage and submits to her husband as to the Lord. That's important. She recognizes that her submission to her husband, it is an act of obedience to the Lord. It is an act of service even to the Lord because she's obeying His command. But notice with me secondly this morning, letter B, we see that the wife... She is contrasted to the church's submission to Christ. This is the picture. There's a contrast here that's that's being used. And as you look at the whole of the passage, marriage is a beautiful, glorious picture of Christ and His church. That's what we have to see. It's a picture of Christ and His church. Now, as we look at the submission of the wife to the husband... We also see the submission of the church to Christ. You look at verse 24 and notice what it says. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul's giving a direct connection. Wife, like the church. Husband, similar to to Christ. Not in identical absolutes, but this is by way of analogy. Understand this. The husband doesn't have the same authority of Christ. Throw that idea out the window. This is an analogy. This is a picture. And so the reason for the wife's submission to the husband is because by it, by fulfilling this role, there is a beautiful picture even of the gospel. Christ is the head of the church. The church is not the head of Christ. We submit to Christ's authority over us. It's unmistakable that that Christ has that authority. He is our head. Colossians 1.18 gives this beautifully. Paul says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. That is, that's our glorious Lord. He's exalted. 
He's wonderful and, and, and glorious to us. He is the supreme head and husband, and the husband is to be a reflection of that picture in the marriage union. But the main focus of this verse, understand, is upon the church in submission to Christ. The church and the wife are the connected images in view. As the church could never fulfill its purposes without submission to the holy will of her Lord. The apostle reminds the women that they cannot fulfill their divine purposes if they're not submitting to the biblical purposes of their husbands. This is mandatory. This is a command. It's not a suggestion for the wife to submit to her husband. This is a command. This brings us to consider maybe how the church and the wife submit to the head over them. So I think about this. How is it that the wife should submit, is to submit to her husband? Well, I think to answer that, we can learn something by asking this question. How does the church submit to Christ? Let me give you a few ways I think that the church submits to Christ. The church submits to Christ out of love for Christ. The church submits to Christ out of love for Christ because of His love for us. Why do you love Christ, church? Why do you want to do His will? Why do you want to live your life for Him? Why do you submit to Him? It is because of His love for you. We love Him, why? Because He first loved us, 1 John 4.19. So is the love of Christ enough for us to submit to Him? Absolutely, and in a similar way, not an absolute way, because the husband doesn't have the same kind of absolute authority that Christ does. But in an analogous, analogous way, a husband's love for his wife cultivates a wife's love for her husband that bears out in submission to him. That's the bigger picture. The church submits to Christ out of love for him because of his love for us. A second second way in which the church submits to Christ. The church submits to Christ because she trusts him who has only her good in mind. You understand that everything Christ has called us to do and be is always for our good. He's not called you to do anything for your harm. He loves you supremely, chiefly. His end goal for all of us who are in Christ is good. He came to us as a servant himself. Luke twenty two twenty seven. he said to them, I am among you as one who serves. Christ has given his all for us, both in his life and in his death. So that we, his church, would receive the best that he could give us. Heaven itself. We submit to Christ because we have confidence in his plans for us. In what he's called us to do. Likewise, understand this. That the wives submit to their husband with confidence. Trusting and knowing that their husband have their best interest in mind as they lead them. Husbands, if you don't have the best interest in mind for your wife, you've got a major heart issue. Something's greatly off. I'll get to that a whole lot next week. I better shut up. I'll, you'll get your turn. Every husband should have the best interest of their wife in mind. That's what we'll see in the next passage. Because the Husband, the church, the, 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 because the wife understands and knows that, she loves him and submits to him because that's part of what plays into this whole passage. The church submits to Christ based also on informed instruction. You understand that 
the, the church does not submit to Christ mindlessly or without thought. The Lord has revealed His will for us as the church in His Word. It's not something we're guessing about. It's something laid out plain for us. Likewise, the wife submits to her husband, not based on ignorance, but based on the inerrant word of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for teaching and instruction in righteousness. You see, Scripture guides the wife in submitting to their husband and why that role of submission is important and vital for the family. Turn with me to one reference today. I think this is the only one I'm turning to, but Titus chapter 2, you'll see, see some instructions that Paul gives in these pastoral epistles. Peter also gives some instruction, I think, in, in 1 Peter 3. But Titus 2, 3 through 5, listen, listen and recognize what Titus was to teach his church. I'll start in verse 1. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's important. Why? Because the pastor of the church is to teach the whole truth of what sound doctrine is. That's not just theology about the atonement or the deity of Christ or the sovereignty of God. That's about every area of life. Because the Bible is sufficient for every area of life, including the marriage and the home. And here's what he says. Older men are to be sober-minded dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Here you have this same instruction, just a little bit extra detail that Paul gives in Ephesus, but he tells the women, love is included in that submission. They love Christ, they, they love their husband, therefore they submit to him too. But notice the purpose of this, it's that the word of God may not be reviled. The purpose of this marriage role, not only is to cause the marriage to function as it should, but also so that the Word of God is not reviled. It's followed, and it is showing the glory of God in the marriage. So their role is instructed in the Scriptures, which gives them an informed reason for submission to their husbands. Now this brings us to this phrase at the end of verse 24 in chapter six of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Notice that he says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, that little phrase, in everything to their husbands, has been capitalized a lot in a bad way. Many men who are full of pride and want to be domineering use this as a reason to trample their wives and make them serve them like slaves. But I think it's important to know that this everything to their own husbands is within the context of the home and what pertains to marriage. The wife is not to submit to her husband if he commands her or tells her to do something that is in violation of Scripture. Shouldn't do that. Violation of conscience, or even that is dangerous to the person's well-being. If a husband tells a wife to go jump off a bridge, wife, don't do that. You don't submit to your husband and that sort of thing. 
He's talking about things that pertain to the relation of the home and marriage life, so long as it doesn't go against the the Word of God. In the same way that Peter told the Sanhedrin when they said, don't preach Christ, we ought to obey God rather than men. You're chiefly accountable to God first. But here's what I want to understand on the opposite side of this. Christian husbands are to be Christ-like men who make it easy for their wives to submit to them. Don't make it hard for your wife to be submissive. They shouldn't make it hard because that's not the picture of Christ and the church. 1 John 5.3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Our Lord is a loving Lord that we are called to follow and submit to, and His commandments are not burdensome. You say, well, what if a Christian... Uh, what, if, what, what if a Christian wife is asked to do something that's unreasonable? What if her husband acts unreasonably? Bethan Lloyd-Jones, she's the wife of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many of you may know him, a great minister of years ago. She was asked this question, but what if my husband wakes, up, wakes me up at 3 a.m. demanding I fetch him ice cream? Am I to go and get it? She replied, yes, and then phoned the doctor because he's clearly not a well man. Husbands should not be unreasonable, but sometimes they can be. Just ask my wife. She gets me ice cream three days a week at 3 a.m. I'm teasing. I don't do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want ice cream at that hour. I want to be sleeping. But here's the reality. The truth is the very best of Christian husbands will not get all things right. In their leadership, in their marriage, and in the home, Because every husband and every wife is a fallen creature, totally dependent on the grace of God. But even still, though the husband isn't perfect, they still are to lovingly submit to their husband. There may be times that the husband is wrong about something, and the wife humbly submits to what they're wrong about. I'll tell you, that's happened many times in our own marriage. You know why? Because I'm always right. Right? There's been times where I was wrong and Bethany just kept her mouth shut and let it play out. And then later she gets the joy of saying, I told you so. (laughs) And I say, I know, honey, you were right. But the wife should be loving and meek and respectful towards her husband, even though maybe he's wrong on some things. The wife is not to try to browbeat her husband because she knows that she's right. Sometimes the wife is wrong and she tries to assert her view or what she's thinking and she's dead wrong. This submission must come into play. Say, well, what if my husband isn't a Christian? This is a very big subject too. Scripture has an answer for that. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, is the Christian wife right in the gospel and the unchristian wife, wrong, unchristian husband wrong? Yes. But I can tell you this, if you go to browbeating your husband with the gospel, you're not going to win him that way. What Scripture says here is that your humble, submissive, role in the marriage, even though he's not a born-again believer, your following of Christ and your conduct 
that can speak very loudly and may be used as a means to bring him to the gospel. And you may even find that God opens opportunities where you can share the gospel, but you shouldn't force it on him. Share it when that opportunity comes, but don't force it. Be the wife that Scripture calls you to be. You see, the wife's role here, it is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. The loving submission of the wife may serve as a a great testimony of the gospel and what Christ has done for her and the home. But notice with me lastly this morning, just to conclude all of this, Letter C, she is called in her role, this role of submission to her husband, she is called in her role for the glory of Christ. Now, this is the central driving point to all of what the home is to be, all of what Christian life is to be. What is the central reason for the family unit? Why did God ordain the marriage this way? Why did He give the wife the role of submission? The answer to this question is the same answer to God's purpose in creating and ordaining everything else. It is His glory. And I wish more Christians would see that this is the central foundation and thread to everything that we are and all that we do. It is the glory of God. In everything. Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. You see, when we fulfill our respective roles in the home, you bring glory to Christ. That's the point. Bring glory to Christ. We are not to compare ourselves with others and wish it were different. That's what the world does. They look at the biblical order and think, oh, that doesn't work real well. We ought to do it a better way. But may I say that there is no such thing as a better way than God's way. We are to see the beauty of God's design and magnify Him and praise Him for who He has made us to be. So if you're a wife today, submit to your husband for the glory of God. Submit to your husband for the glory of Christ. Recognize his headship. Follow his leadership. Love him in the home. This is where true wisdom is found. Secular humanism laughs at this structure. Thinking in their wisdom that They know a better way for the marriage and the family to function. If they had it their way, the family would go extinct by their sex changes and gay marriage and all that they're doing. All of that's going to implode on itself. God says this in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. It's just foolishness. But true wisdom is found here in the Word of God. What works for the home and the church and society, it is in the Scriptures. The sufficiency of Scriptures is paramount to who we are and what we do. The Christian worldview is the only one that works in all areas of life. 
And so the Word of God gives clear and unmistakable instructions of the correct role of the wife in the marriage and the family. And when the correct role of the wife is fulfilled, Christ is glorified. Spirit-filled wives submit to their husbands because they want to glorify Christ. Christ is their heart, even above their husband. Because you understand, wives, you're to love Christ above yourself and your husband and your children. Same thing for husbands. You're to love Christ above your wife and your children. Christ is always first. That doesn't negate the love you're supposed to have for your family, but understand that Christ, He is preeminent. Christ's glory is the chief purpose and plan for every marriage. So with all that we've seen in this text and others that we've referenced, the call to the wife today is very plain and should be lived out in this passage. And really the challenge to all of us listening here today is, do you want to be spirit-filled in the way you live your life? Do you want to be a spirit-filled wife? If you do, take the Scriptures and live out what is said here by the Holy Spirit of God. Yield yourself to this passage of Scripture. Submit to your husband. Love him, reverence him, respect him as he leads you and your family and know that your submission to him is a beautiful picture Christ and His church. It's an honor for the wife to fulfill this role, and it's an honor for the husband to fulfill his role. May we be challenged in fulfilling that here today. Let's stand to our feet, and we'll have a closing song. Father, we bow before you this morning. We're so grateful, Father, that your word is sufficient for all of life, including the home and our marriage And Father, I know that we have focused on one specific role today and what a wonderful, beautiful, glorious role it is that you've given to the wife in the marriage union. It is not lesser. It is not uh, inferior like the world wants us to think. Father, it is glorious. It serves a purpose. You have ordered the home according to your infinite, almighty wisdom. Father, it's my prayer today for the wives in this building to take these words to heart, that they truly do live this text out, that they are spirit-filled and practice submission to their husbands, honoring him, reverencing him, following him in his leadership. Help us as husbands to love our wives as we ought to love them, to make it easy for them to fulfill their role. Bless this word in Jesus' name.